Welcome to episode 61 of the Book Wars Pod. 61. I am um, <laughs> Kate and I'm here with Chris and Kristen. And today we are wrapping up Last Shot by Daniel Jose Older, which is very exciting. Um, Keeks and I just recorded uh, Tasha Station Brewhouse with uh, Pod Dad Brian Larson. So we are already quite punchy, I feel like. And Chris, meanwhile, was um, over here painting his uh, Star Wars Legion miniatures. And it's just like, what is happening? Yeah, Star Wars Legion's great. More people should play it. And specifically play it with me. Dad toys. <laughs> that, that got weird. <laughs> That's what they are. They're your toys. That belong to dad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Didn't get weird. <sighs> Chris, Chris, you made it weird. Thanks for making it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Chris, what are you drinking? I'm certainly certainly not drinking child flavored Pedialyte. That's for sure. Jesus. Uh, no, I'm drinking water because we haven't been to the store, so I have nothing. Oh Oh, my god. (laughs) Keeks. What are you spelling, Keeks? Uh, (laughs) Fort George City of Dreams. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a pretty name. I am having another fucking uh, bootleg ass Trader Joe's White Claw. Because I already had one as we were recording the beer pod, because as is appropriate, I was not drinking beer during recording the beer pod, because I am a piece of garbage, but, um... You're not a piece of garbage. You're allowed to drink whatever you want all the time. Well, thanks. Well... You are. This is what's happening. (laughs) Uh, this is a pale ale. I've had it a million times. It's five and a half percent. (laughs) Go listen to the beer pod. I think it should be... It's probably going to be out by the time this releases, so... Oh, yeah. Go do it. Tashi Station Brew House. Brian's always super quick about getting things up, and um, I, uh, as I said, guested to uh, make a Canaan beer, so you're welcome and or I'm sorry if you listen to that one. <laughs> it's fucking great. I haven't heard it yet. I was just a part of it, but it was great, and I really enjoy it. Uh, it was it was something. It was great. It's the only other uh, podcast on our network that um, allows for swearing and other... Um, more mature content, so... Hashtag adult content. <laughs> so you can only imagine, since I was making a Canaan beer. It but anyway! <laughs> hey, Chris, would you like to shepherd us through this outline, since <laughs> me and Kate are... Uh, I've already been Monday. drinking for an hour, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Monday when we're recording, so... It's true. That's true. Stupid vacations. Um, cool. So, we have... A few th- we talked about a lot on our last episode in terms of kind of the plot in the universe, but we do have a few more things that we wanted to talk about about Last Shot. Um, and the first thing that I wanted to bring up was the fact that, you know, obviously we see this in a post, the present timeline in a post-war setting, and supposedly everything's peaceful, and we talked a little bit about this in, I think, our first episode when we were setting the scene, but post-war does not mean boring. Like, this is, there's a lot happening in... The galaxy right now even though it's supposedly peacetime absolutely i mean it, it it kind of goes back to you know things we know about star wars galactic history in universe you know there were always parts of the old republic that were trying to expand and trying to um you know get to the outer rim or um 
wild space or the expansion region. And of course, the Empire never actually took over everything because for all the, you know, force they had, uh, both, you know, in terms of military might and um, totalitarian power, they never, you know, managed to conquer, honestly, that much more area than the Old Republic ever did. And now we're here with the New Republic. And again, we're kind of in the same place. Like, we're, you know, they they have strongholds in probably the same places that uh, the previous two regimes did. And, um, you know, as shaky a foothold in all the other places. Yeah, um, just the Galactic Empire did get so much more Dunium, though. Just to be clear about so that. <laughs> so much, much Dunium. <laughs> so much Dunium. Um, God damn it. Yeah, and, and I think we. It, it's interesting. I, I love the way that this book kind of plays both of those things off of each other. Uh, you know, it, there's still a shitload going on, like, outside of... Han and Leia's, you know, little bubble that we see. Um, and then we also see all the boring shit that they have to deal with, quote unquote boring shit, right? It's like not racing around, you know, shooting things and, and, and et cetera. It's like sitting in meetings. So we get both the like, there are pirates and the New Republic and things are cray cray. And also Han has to sit in an all day meeting where he's not paying attention to things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. All very important parts of government. (laughs) No, seriously. And it's just, it's interesting to me because, like, this is, obviously we got Bloodline, but other than Bloodline, this is the first, like, kind of closer to the war, post-war book that we've gotten. Like, Bloodline, it's obviously peacetime, but the whole point of Bloodline is the seeds of the next conflict are already sprouting. Right, and the New Republic obviously is more established. Right. And so it's just interesting to see, like, you know, it's it's called Star Wars, as Mon Mothma constantly doesn't know. Oh, but, like, it's the one of the first real peacetime books that we have in the new canon. And it's just interesting to see that play out and, like, how interesting it can still be and, like, how there is this potential to tell these stories when the, story, when the you know, conflict doesn't appear to be on an intergalactic scale, although, obviously, it did end up being, you know, quite a, quite important. Yeah, totally. Who put the fucked up question number three on? Him? Oh, that was me. So, all right, moving on <laughs> to the next question. Of course, it was Chris. Actually, no, not of course it was Chris. I'm the I one was going to say children. that exactly sounds yeah. like something that Kate literally like dreams about slash writes about. So, so I, I so really had to ask. I, I hate children. So I here's the lie. question: As we all feel a shudder in the force, as if millions of Raylos all cried out at once oh! and were suddenly silenced. <laughs> My fucking god! Does anybody else kind of wish that Lando had just been like ten seconds later when shutting off the phalanx? Chris, it is Monday. I don't need this. <laughs> He's saying, "What if Kylo died?" Yeah, I mean, like honestly. Wow, really? <laughs> hey, I don't know. Some people like, may be listening to I know this who didn't read the Kylo. book. Yeah, that's true. I know, well, yeah, I know he's baby Kylo. Like, he's a baby. Obviously, he has not done anything yet. He's still completely innocent. But, like, knowing what we know about what Kylo grows up to be and what he grows up to do and what the First Order grows up to do. So what the First Order grows up to do. He killed Ghost Luke. Killed Ghost Luke. But, oh like, my God. did anybody else feel a little bit weird? 
obviously that moment was put in on purpose to right. make you think You're supposed about to feel it. weird for sure right i just i kind of wonder like i mean this is this is a fucked up but a fair question to ask i feel like you know because we were always entertaining thoughts of you know for example, what if Qui-Gon had lived? What if, you know, Anakin hadn't turned? You know, all this other stuff. What if Hana showed up 20 seconds later when Luke was destroying the Death Star? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but I don't know. I don't... So, obviously this is a fair point to ask this question, but I'm also wondering if it's necessarily the right point because we don't know an awful lot about his life between here and, you know, he goes off and he joins Luke and then from... Um, you know, the point in Bloodline where the news that Leia is um, Vader's biological daughter is released and then, you know, we see him um, the next time we hear of him in the timeline, he has um, destroyed Luke's training temple and taken off with a bunch of kids who become the Knights of Ren. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I think, I don't know, the question for me, honestly, is like, is Ben Solo at this point in his life still pure potential or, you know, is this or is this a point where you nip it in the bud? Unclear. It is unclear. Yeah, absolutely. So. No, it is. I mean, that's the that's the million credit question. I mean, like <laughs> it because I mean, we've talked in the past, maybe even with when we were talking about Bloodline, about this question of the force versus choice and like what is predestined and what is not. Totally. And midichlorians, et cetera. Right. Et cetera. Um, and I think we get, do we get a little more information on Ben and, um, how much Hold the Dark Side has over him during the Aftermath series? I had heard a rumor about that. Not that I read it, but. Uh, I've seen interpretations to that effect. That's not how I read it. Okay. Well, we can talk about Hmm. that later, but. We sure can. Um, if you're wondering what we're talking about when we're talking about Bloodline, we read Bloodline, uh, episodes four through we read and discussed bloodline um on book Wars pod episode four through eight um, yes and Thank it's you, very Keats. good and you should read it yes read every claudia gray book um yep yeah but dope no i mean it, it's a, it, it's like but me responding to your question with a question though is 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 really a thing for me though because you know i think it's what i thought actually was really interesting is that we get several scenes with young ben throughout this book having a lot of really emotional reactions to various things but we never see him using the force yeah and i think that's fascinating like it's almost like he's he just he's not yet who he becomes he could be anything yeah at this point and we see like little babies using the force so we know that that is potentially a thing exactly and especially when they're in emotional situations or in grave danger or you know yeah just think of Oh God! What's the kid's name in Rebels? What the baby? You, you the baby Ithorian. The baby Ithorian. Pipey. Was that his name? Yeah. In 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 Rebels, though, not Clone Wars. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you think I don't know these kids? You think I don't know everything about Rebels, Chris? <laughs> right, yeah, fair point. Fair point. Um, but no, absolutely. It's and it's. I mean, look. The question is mostly in jest, like. But it's just interesting because obviously Star Wars has such a history of making us feel for these villains and, like, feel conflicted in, like, the, is the villain the protagonist? Like, who do we want to win here? Like, we, we've we seen it in, uh, I mean, countless books that we've read. We read 
uh, a book like Phasma, which obviously you're not rooting for Phasma, but you're also kind of rooting for her to get to the end of the desert and see how she gets off Parnassus. Or Thrawn is a great example. Thrawn, Thrawn is a wonderful example. And we're going to we're gonna read Thrawn Alliances, which recently came out and is fantastic. And you do a lot of this rooting for the bad guys. Right. I mean, and Vader, of course, is the original. Yeah, absolutely. Vader is the original bad guy who you root for in... I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say modern storytelling, but like... He's a foundational villain in the way that we think of villains. For sure. And it's just so interesting the way it was done in that, like, not only are we worried about Ben's survival, but we're worried about Ben's survival because this, you know, person who will become Space Hitler, essentially, as we all like to, you know, call the bad guys in Star Wars. I mean, it's not wrong. It's not. This person who will become Space Hitler is a baby like it's it's the it's the republican debate question if you could go back in time and kill baby hitler would you do it <laughs> yeah no jeb bush would not have killed kylo all right i don't know i think i think for me always the more interesting honestly and in terms of storytelling anyway moments are where you know it's it's the choice between again the thing that puts them on the path path towards evil or the thing or with the thing that or they could turn away from it you know that sort of thing mm-hmm. you know all those luke moments where he could give in to the dark side and he decides against it it's those kinds of moments that i think storytelling wise are more interesting for me which i realize is not really the question but yeah you know, we're talking about books i'm gonna say it so yeah it also just as a thought exercise questions like this beg the question of if, and I don't think they should do this, but, you know, what do I know? I'm not a storyteller. Uh, if they do lean into the time travel aspect of the world between worlds in Rebels and start dealing down the road with alternate timelines and what-if situations. My friend, you should... I got some fanfic to recommend to you. Oh, I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just going to say, speaking of baby Hitler, which sounds bad. Um... <laughs> Going from baby Hitler to something equally dark, uh, let's talk about Chewie and the Ewoks and the limbs situation. Oh, God. So I I had originally put this uh, on the outline more as an aside, but I think we're going to probably wind up going a little bit more in depth about it. Chris, can you please stop? My tattoo is itching. Deal with it. I know, but you're just slapping it. Well, that's what he's supposed to do. As we record. He's not itching it. (laughs) Slap, 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 slap. (laughs) Yeah, great. Thanks for that. Um, um, I just... So, so we get, we get the bit at the beginning where, um, they go to Kashyyyk to pick up Chewie to help them out, and he winds up actually having, um, a Wookiee-oriented mission at submission i guess as part of their their mission because um uh they complimentary mission yeah so because uh his his tribe is basically put together that um the person who has been um kidnapping wookie younglings and dismembering them and then dumping bits of their bodies in the fucking woods is the same motherfucker that Han and Lando are looking for. So they're like, sure, Chewie, go recover these chil- the other bits of these children. Which, I remember reading this and I was like, oh god, that's terrible. 
Um, you know, like, Chewie hasn't been through enough fucking bullshit being enslaved and, you know, whatever. Um, and then we get to the part where, um, Gore is sending his, uh, fucking robots after Lando as they're floating through space trying to get to the phalanx. And, you know, we get this absolutely grotesque scene, uh, which, you know, whether it's more or less disgusting than Gore's other creations is kind of debatable. But, um, you know, Blando realizes that, oh, these robots have fucking Wookiee arms. Wait a minute. (sighs) And it's just so horrible because Chewie's behind him and he's like taking out these robots. But he's taking out these robots not only to save Lando, but because he has to recover these kids' arms. So he's like got a space saw and is fucking like murdering robots and then cutting off the arms to stick in a bag to bring home to their fucking parents. Like, what the hell? It's a really fucked up subplot. It is really fucked up. It is like... Oh my god, like, there are a lot of things in Star Wars that make me yell, as you have, as you know, slash have heard previously on this podcast, but good lord, this is the most, like, macabre thing I've ever, like, seen, probably, in Star Wars, maybe. Yeah, it's really fucked up. Also, can, like, Twi'leks and Wookiees catch a fucking goddamn break? I know! No, neither of them can. Oh god, but seriously. Yeah, it, it is a really interesting way to, you know tell stories about Wookiees and about Chewie because like obviously like Wookiees are somewhat difficult to tell stories about like to to feature as main characters in your stories just because of the fact that they don't speak basic they don't speak in a way that we can really read okay there are ways around that I mean there there are ways around that we're gonna see that in I think Empire's End maybe Life Dead too um there, there are ways around it don't get me wrong but like and what I'm thinking of famously is in the Legends, uh, Chewie actually got killed off because authors got tired of trying to, you know, include things for him to do in stories, rather, essentially. Rather legendarily, got killed by a moon. <laughs> yep. He got crushed by a moon, guys. It, Not even it actually was a moon that time. What? It actually it was a moon, moon that time. Um, anyway, but my point being, oh, I, I love that we do get this really depth of characterization of, for both the Wookiees and Chewbacca because we see, obviously we see Kashyyyk and it's still rebuilding, but it is closer to presumably what it has been than we've ever seen in the canon. Right, absolutely. And, you know, Han mentions that. You know, yeah. he, He's like, I haven't been here for, for, for a few years, but they've rebuilt quite admirably in those few years that he's been gone. Yeah, and so we see kind of what Wookiee life is like and what Wookiee culture is like and it's this very like I'm gonna tread carefully here just because I don't have the range to talk about this subject but it's this very you know close to nature uh you know reverent uh and very traditional culture uh it's a it's a it's a very I'm not gonna say earthbound tradition but it's it's very planet focused you know? yes very 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 planet focused very nature focused mm-hmm, and that Speaking of things that we haven't seen a lot of in Star Wars, I know that, uh, again, I'm just going to skim on this, but I know representation matters. The Star Wars, Rep- Star Wars Rep Matters hashtag has talked about native representation and the lack thereof in Star Wars with very few examples. And I don't believe there are any examples of explicit uh, American Indian re- representation. Yeah, there have been Maybe influences no. for Emphis Nest, but... Right. There have been, you know, things 
that have been, you know, gleaned from Native American culture because, you know, Star Wars at the end of the day, um, when they're creating civilizations, often take kind of a hodgepodge of, Mm -hmm. you know, already existing things. But in terms of um, actors or people behind the camera, no, we've had no um, Native American representation in that sense. Um, Again, it's Star Wars using uh, non-human species as proxies for people of color, including um, Native Americans. Yeah, absolutely. And, And so I just love that that's what we get of Chewie in this book. And it also, like... One one very kind of minor line in Solo that I just like that kind of broke my heart a little bit, and I think very much relates back to this is the when they're sitting around the campfire before the train heist, and Chewie's kind of telling his story and Han's translating, and he says at some point he's trying to get back to his and I can't tell if he said family or tribe or mm-hmm. tribe or family, yeah. and Beckett's kind of like what's the difference, and it's that's just really profound to me because a obviously you have the use of tribe which is very explicit but b i think it also calls back to the fact that many american indian tribes had languages and systems of language that did not directly translate to english and did not have or basic in this case and did not have direct equivalents and so these two concepts that are so foundational and important were merged into one word potentially and so it's just i this, this all goes to say that I really like this characterization of Chewie, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Totally. Um, I think another thing I will add is that as far as my um, understanding of um, the state, the current state of um, Native Americans um, as their lives are actually lived in America right now, um, you know, if you're paying attention, there have been so many articles about how um, tribes are losing their language and they're losing their customs because they were forced to go to, um, you know, Christian schools, white people's schools, mm-hmm. basically, to learn English and, quote-unquote, act American and act, quote-unquote, civilized. And so there's been this complete erasure, this complete decimation of, you know, these intangible parts of culture. Um, and I think that... Chewie talking about tribe slash family kind of reflects that because um, there are so many tribes that are like have become you know over time have become you know one people or two people Um, you know there's not obviously there are distinctions that um, can be made between existing tribes right now but you know Native Americans they see each other and it's like you know it doesn't matter if you're um, what actual reservation or part of the country where your ancestry is you know they recognize each other in that Mm -hmm. you know it's it's not. I don't want to say that they've decided to like allied into each other because that's not true, but I don't know. There's a kinship there, you know. Even if you're um, from a different place, like you're, you're all the same people at the end of the day because of what was done to you. Yeah, it's a it's a shared identity born out of necessity. I yes, think, and, and yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah, and and just to bring it back to Star Wars a little bit, um, I mean, I think it's really important and it's also like obviously very notable that we don't get this part of Chewie's past until now right I mean I think it's something that was very much lacking in the canon um and we don't get to know a whole lot I mean they're fleshing out every character right that's the kind of the point of the podcast um but we I think we knew least of all um 
about Wookiees themselves and, and what that looks like. But at the same time, we kind of got the strings of, um, you know, we need to Han, Han and uh, Chewie are going to go back to, to free the Wookiees. So it's very much like a, a, a thing that I think we really have been grasping at and wanting to know more about. And I'm glad that DJO was able to f- help flesh it out and did so in like such such a kind of meaningful way, I think. Yeah, totally. I mean, like you said, we've kind of been grasping at cultural straws here between this and we're going to see more in Aftermath and um, what we see of um, the little uh, Wookiee youngling Jedi that we see in um, the Clone Wars and what we know. Gunji! Yes, your favorite. Um, Best character in Star Wars. (laughs) At me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, the ways that he incorporates his culture into his identity as a Jedi um, and things like that. also, if we haven't said anything wrong or bad about Native Americans or representation here, please come scream at us because we would like to know if we did a bad, if we say bad things. This goes for anything across the board. None of us are Native American and we are always learning. So um, not that it's anyone's job to scream at us if we said a really ignorant ass thing. But if you happen to be listening and you happen to feel like screaming at us because we did a bad thing, then please let us know. Yeah, and as we, you know, as we, we've had this conversation with Saan, we've had this conversation uh, in this book about Lando, and, like, we want to, we want to have these conversations because they're important to have, and we think really do enrich the Star Wars galaxy and the reader and viewer experience of Star Wars, but, and, and so we, we try to do what homework we can, and we try to make sure that we understand what we're talking about and admit when we don't have the range. But as always, like we also want to learn, and so as as Kate said, if if we you know did something, tell us and let us know, and we'll own up. We we know we're not the right people to be talking about it, but we want to talk about it. Yeah, and yeah. We want to make sure it's it's heard and listened to. So if you have something to add to that conversation, and um, would be kind enough to tell us if we're being fucking idiots, please do so. Absolutely. Uh, the last aside I want to make about um, Han and Chewie and Wookiee culture is that one of my actual favorite things about Solo is, um, you know, obviously it's a it's a comedic scene, but I think it says a lot about Han's character that uh, the first time he meets Chewie, he's talking to him in Shri Wook. Um, you know, I, I think Lord knows where this man uh, picked up Shri Wook, but because he's a Mary Sue. Sorry, continue. <laughs> Chris. I've had a lot of alcohol today, <laughs> and I can't right now. <laughs> um, but I think it it says a lot, honestly, about you know you know his his actual character and his relationship with Chewie that we see him start off on this foot. You know, he tries to meet Chewie. Um, you know, like at, I think it's like on a more of a level of respect than we necessarily see. Um, people encountering um, non-human species who don't speak basic for the or who who, for whom basic is not like a widely known language in their culture um, the first time Um, because you know we have the original trilogy and you know Han Han and Chewie's relationship and their friendship is pretty well established at that point we see him like doing a lot of yelling at Chewie and basic and Chewie obviously understands basic and all this other stuff but you know it's you get a completely different reading on their relationship knowing the origins of it and um you know seeing that here when he gets to 
Kashyyyk and he's talking to the guards at the gate of Chewie's village and he 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 talks to him in Shrewok and he doesn't just you know we see all these characters all the time and so it's just like you know talking to these characters who don't speak basic in basic and when they don't understand they're like what if I said it louder which is I can tell you from experience not fucking useful so I I did like that that small detail that comes through in the novel as well as in the movie yeah and we talked a little bit about this when we talked about the solo movie. I would imagine we'll talk about it in certainly in Life Debt and also whenever we read the solo novelization. But it just makes me, again, so happy that they did away with the Life Debt backstory for Han and Chewie. Yeah. In yeah. Solo, and they just completely didn't do that. Because that was always weird to me as a concept, and now it is not part of the canon, and it just puts them on a more equal footing, which... They should be on. Totally. Especially because Chewie could rip his arms off anytime he wanted. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do we want to continue the Rep Matters thread? Yeah, I was going to say, that actually was a pretty good segue. Yeah, dude. Um, so... In the row. <laughs> uh, so, obviously one of the uh, most significant things about this book and a lot a lot of the reason that people were so excited for it is because daniel jose older is writing this book and first of all obviously he's an incredible author we've seen that all through this book and you know he's written a number of other books and series that you can um go out and look for that have um you know been so sold wonderfully been received wonderfully by critics and readers alike um but of course we can't not notice that you know thank god we have a writer of color writing lando who is a character of color which was obviously so fucking important um and a lot you know a lot of the conversation that we've been ha having on why representation matters in star wars is that um when you only have white writers in a room and by and large white male writers they are telling the same story because they're oftentimes coming from the same place and you know, they're, you're missing completely the perspectives of other people and no more, like we can't, there's no better place to see what we're missing out on. Honestly, I think than, than this book right here, because across the board, um, DJ has created a diverse cast of characters, but more than that, he's made every single one of them, more than a stereotype which is so easy to fall in, into with star wars because star wars naturally lends itself um to speciesism which are, which obviously is just um um in universe cognate for racism um and you know those are those are patterns that are pretty established because star wars has pretty much only had white male writers and it's easy to fall into um but just like going down the list of some of these characters, you know, we've, we've are a lot of talk has been made, um, especially in the run up to the release of this book about Peepa, who is an Ewok, but she's a slicer. She's really good with tech. And, you know, there were a bunch of like asshats who were like adding Del Rey and DJL being like, Ewoks are fucking stupid and they live in trees. How the fuck does she know how to like do these things? It doesn't even make any sense. And I was like, what the shit? Like, honestly, he, like... I think I'm sorry I missed your anthropomorphic... Uh, your uh, anthropomorphic thesis on uh, Endoran technology. I know. First uh, of all, rude. Uh, yeah? Not anthropomorphic. Your your thesis is not an animal. Anthropological. 
Yes. Thank you. Your thesis is his talking horse. <laughs> Nay. Chris just put his head on the table and he wants to die. Very ashamed. <laughs> very, very ashamed of your child. <laughs> no, I'm very ashamed of myself. <laughs> We're getting anthropomorphic and anthropological mixed up. Yeah, it's true. You're slipping on the balcony anyway, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry, continue. You were making a really good point. <laughs> um, but, you know, there were enough people, like, complaining about this one fucking thing that he legitimately had to address it on Twitter to tell them to go fuck themselves. Like, which is ridiculous. I just, oh, it made me so angry. It also, like, made me happy that Peekpa was a girl because, you know, um, in the real world, tech is an industry that a lot of women are boxed out of just because of assumptions about gender and, you know, tied up in intelligence and whatever the fuck else bullshit. So, um, you know, Peekpa is um, just, like, this really, honestly... um, incredibly important character not only to the plot but in terms of representation which sounds silly because she's literally a teddy bear but there you go it does it doesn't sound silly and just to add to that Pikpa in this story contains multitudes right we see her not only being a slicer and being like uh, sassy and telling people to fuck off when they underestimate her but also we see her uh what's the like Sorry, I'm belching into the mic. What's the backstory with Chewie? Chewie saved uh, her, Chewie right? saved her sister yeah. during the Battle okay. of Endor. Got it. Thank you. Um, but we see her be reverent and respectful and um, show this kind of like depth of emotion. And guess what? She gets to do both. She gets to be fucking pissed off when people underestimate her and she gets to be really thankful and grateful to Chewie and like see the softer side of her because we can have characters that do both surprise absolutely and you know just because she's a slicer working for the new republic doesn't mean that she's any less of an ewok because we see um you know towards the end there's that there's that um mad dash on um i think it's the chevalier for uh to get to regain control of the ship um and she you know han tells her you know just be careful we're gonna go to the back we're gonna see if we can reset everything um and they come back in and han pauses and we have a very classic um ewok booby trap come out like this thing swing out (laughs) and almost take off his head you know she's she's an ewok absolutely but she's she's a different kind of ewok because you know funnily enough as you said, geeks, teddy bears, too, can contain multitudes. That's right. <laughs> and she gets to do more than one thing, which I love. Like, mm-hmm. she's not just there to slice the prison. She's there to slice the prison. She is the one who Arrow respects, which Arrow is the best character, the Gungan prison guard on mm-hmm. Substation Grimdock. Oh, my God. Um, and it, she... Arrow, who's like, you can take your Misa Misa and shove it up your butthole, yep. so... <laughs> Breaking right in with the Misa Misas. I loved it. Like It was so good. Before I even read this book, Chris was like, okay, I understand we're not reading this book on the pod for a while, and you're not reading it right now, but he like shoves this, like the, those few paragraphs in my face, and I was just like screaming. Oh, it's so, so glorious. Ugh. But yeah, and like she's she has this connection with Arrow as two beings who are constantly underestimated and stereotyped against. She eventually plays a very major part in defeating Gore and getting him off the Vermilion. Like, 
because when she hacks the cockpit and like ejects him basically and like she's not just there for one thing she's there as an equal member of the team absolutely and even like you know han's kind of making fun of her to start with and you know it's not his greatest moment but by the end there he like he's i mean he's as Luke says, he's being very Han about it. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of greatest moments. <laughs> I was going to say, Han has a lot of not greatest moments in this book. Oh, uh, he's such a dumb white man. But... In this book, in his life. Sorry, continue. Yeah, I know. Um, one of the most honestly heartwarming moments for me, though, was when, um, I think I think it is the moment where Pikpa, um, you know, ejects Gore from the Vermilion, and Han gives her a high five, and it was, like, the cutest thing ever for, like, so many reasons, but I was just like, yes. You can, you can respect this Ewok. She is baller. And and high five her. Yes. Oh, high five is respect right now. Hey, man. It works. <laughs> I love it. Um, do we want to talk about how Lando, the one who can't love anyone because he loves everyone, is in love with one being in this book? Uh, I'm actually going to jump and talk about Kasha and Taka first and then come back to Lando. Great. Uh, Let's do it. Yeah. All right, so um, as we were kind of alluding to before, um, Twi'leks, of course, in the galaxy far, far away, are often used as quote-unquote pleasure slaves, which is exactly what you'd expect, which is really fucking gross. Um, and, you know, we, we, we see, obviously, you know, a lot of Twi'leks, sl- female slaves, you know, all over the galaxy in... Jabba's palace in gross hollows and you know all of these other they're they're everywhere basically in star in 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 star wars media um and then of course the the first time we really saw um a twilight female doing anything different is harrison doula in rebels and she's completely the opposite she dresses you know very modestly because she chooses to because she chooses to wear practical outfits because she's a pilot um, you know, she doesn't have the Ryloth accent. Uh, she's, you know, she can speak basic fluently. Um, and ba- so basically she just completely refuses that um, mold that's set up by the original trilogy in terms of um, Twi'lek representation. But Kasha is actually maybe even more interesting to me than Hera is because, you know, she's unapologetically Rylothian. She absolutely has um, that Ryloth accent. But she's she, a fucking bad bitch. Exactly. Like she's like, not that Hera is not. Of course, Hera is also a bad bitch. Right. But. They're they're just different. You know, Kasha is. You know, they mentioned she's a freedom fighter. She was with the Free of Ryloth movement. Um, but she's also not afraid to hop in bed with Lando because she thinks it'll be fun. Um, and she keeps doing that throughout the, throughout the book. And it's just kind of really refreshing, to see, um, a Twi'lek woman who is super comfortable with her sexuality, but also, you know, is a fucking dead-eye in a fight. So, um, you know, again, it's DJO recognizing that um, folks can be both and they can contain multitudes. And, you know, there's there's nothing preventing a woman from being a quote-unquote strong woman or a capable lady just because she also, you know, likes to have sex. Yeah, and... Boom. The one other thing that I love, just to agree with everything you just said and add on to it a little bit, is that you don't get the thinking about Hera and Kasha as kind of two sides of a coin. Like, you don't get the dichotomy that male writers often fall into, where you have the almost matronly, you know, very work-focused, 
uh, just wants to get the job done and not have people think of her as a woman person, which uh, I don't think Hera falls into that. But like, no, but let's, I mean, we... let's let's call her that end of this stereotype for the sake of comparison. Right. And we've we, we've talked. Um, we did a bonus episode um, talking about the the end of Rebels um, at the end of season four. And I talked a lot about how frustrated I was with yeah. the, with Hera's writing because she was only written by white dudes. Yep. And so, but you have her on one side of the spectrum. And normally, what many male writers would do to be the reverse of that is have somebody who is attractive, who is, uh, the, the adjective lithe often comes into play. Uh, the femme fatale. Yeah, the femme fatale, yeah. who is not afraid to use her sexuality to get what she wants as a tool. You don't often get male writers writing a character with sexuality that doesn't actually play into her quote-unquote skills. Right. That's like, so it true. is just a part of her personality that she has, and that's fine. Funnily enough, women are like this. What? Yeah. So, just just to add to the kind of breaking hey, of the mold. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. <laughs> How are you going to use your sexuality as a weapon if you tell them? Well, fuck. <laughs> I will use my sexuality. Oh my God. Jenna, please don't say your sexuality. <laughs> oh, man. My problematic fave show. <laughs> 30 Rock. So good. <laughs> Jenna, what are you going to do? Please don't say you choose. I will use my sexuality. God damn it. Uh, I have... I have Problematic fave is a good way to describe uh, a drink, Kukowski, exactly but that's that. a fantastic moment for her. <laughs> yeah. And so, if we're done talking about Kasha, just to talk about Taka very briefly, but also, like, he's so fucking important also, because... Them. They. They're so fucking important. Ugh! Okay. We're learning. It we is difficult. learning. I am reprogramming my brain, because society has told me that there are only two genders, even though it's not true. And I'm trying. Yes. And and I say, when I say it's difficult, I don't mean that non-binary uh, pronouns are difficult. I mean that overriding decades of our lives living in... Of condi- uh, social, conditioning, social conditioning. Bullshit social conditioning and what is considered quote-unquote correct... Yes. Is just, ugh. It's so... Uh, like, my frustration right now is not at all with um, NB people, but with the fact that, like... Why am I like this? And I'm really mad about it. And I'm trying to stop being like this. The fact that we have trained ourselves to make it difficult to remember pronouns that aren't he or she. Exactly. Like, it's... I hate society. That is what I'm mad at right now. I just want to make very clear. Kate is saying if sheer force of will could (laughs) make her not use incorrect pronouns, it would be so. But... (laughs) I know. She's got years and years and years of bad conditioning to work against. Which is not like necessarily an excuse and I seriously apologize. I don't want to be erasing. I like but you know, it's Ugh. Yeah. I hate societal fuck shit. But this is the exact point of why Taka is such so important as a character. I yes. mean you have them appearing and I think my favorite aspect of them is that they're never explained. Oh god, yeah. They're because... they it took me and honestly because again, because we have this social conditioning of only expecting male or female characters, I it took me a couple chapters to even realize that their pronouns were they, them. Because mm-hmm. I just, I just, I read it. I saw Taka, I read them as a man. That's just, that's just how I read them. 
I, maybe because they were initially supposed to be Han Solo. Uh, that was mm. like their introduction. Yeah, I think that's what my stupidly programmed brain is getting right. hung up on as well. Um, so I read, th- I read them as male and it took me a few chapters to realize that they weren't being referred to as he. And then I like went back and I'm like, I read the context of the sentence. I'm like, oh, like is Corrigan here too? Because again, it's just, uh, that's unfortunately the way that my brain has been conditioned by society. And I love that DJ Older made my brain work for it. Yeah. Because, you know what? We should be working for it. Yep. Because, the, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think I need to explain why. Um, yes. But um, I want to point out that not only is it never explained, no one has questions about it, no one is worried about it, yep. they are an incredibly capable undercover spy for the New Republic. Um, Leia even has to, like, you know, admit that, oh, yeah, I told them to just, you know, get in on this mission. I didn't want to tell you. <laughs> Fucking Leia. Leia's great as fuck pilot, obviously. Oh, fuck yes. Fast talker, knows how to get out of a situation with the best of them. because you And you know that because Lando and Han are like, oh, shit. I know. <laughs> they know what they're doing. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, but they're also important for... A few other reasons um, that I do want to mention. So we learn over the course of the novel that they're Alderanian and they uh, survived the destruction of Alderaan and their parents, unfortunately, did not. Um, But it's pretty explicitly pointed out in the novel that their parents, um, you know, are the galaxies far, far away equivalent of Latinx people, which is fantastic um, because DJ just basically canonized the fact that um, Alderaan is full of space Latinx people because, of course, they're being ruled by Bale and Brea, whose um, actors are both Latinx. So happiness and joy there. Um, But more than that, um, the way that Taka is described um, their features are basically what, what what DJ is basically describing is an Afro Afro Latino person, and you know I obviously again none of us are of that background, but I know from talking to people and um, doing a lot of reading and learning and listening that there is a whole lot of anti blackness unfortunately in the Latinx community, especially among um, diasporic peoples. Um, you know, who are from places that experienced um, colonialism and the integration um, in terms of genetics of um, Native peoples, um, African slaves, and European colonists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I just, I remember in high school the way that um, uh, two, two of my friends from high school, they're both from the Dominican Republic, um, their parents are, that is, um, and one was, um, her background was white Dominican and the other, and, um, the other, his background was black Dominican. And, you know, before we quote unquote knew any better, like she would make fun of him mercilessly for having, you know, a certain hair texture or a certain, you know, um, shade of skin. And that was kind of like baked into, um, the messages that they heard at home, unfortunately. So to see that representation beyond, you know, someone like Jimmy Smith, who is um, a fair, fair-skinned uh, Puerto Rican, um, as, you know, compared to somebody like Taka, I think is super significant. The way that, you know, 
we can have a place like Alderaan where all of these people are seen as, you know, people as opposed to less than just because of their skin color or, you know, societal striation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. The only thing I would add is that kind of in comparison to where we were saying that, you know, with Taka's gender identity, we don't get the explanation. We do get very explicit, as Kate said, evidence that they and their family are, you know, space Afro-Latinx, both from the uh, description of their uh, skin tone, but also, and this was my favorite thing, which actually I totally missed in my reading, and I saw it pointed out by, oh God, I want to say it was Katrina, uh, at Katrina on Twitter. Katrina Dennis is great. Uh, who pointed this out. Um, but the 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 line where Taka's mother says, stay safe, uh, Taka. And that is uh, not a typo. That is the spelling out of a kind of common Spanglish, yeah. for lack of a better term, so pronunciation. Thing. Yes. Yeah. Splay, play basic. Yeah. Spang basic. Yes. And it's and it's just great to just see that as characters' dialogue, and they are. You know, they're characters, they matter, they aren't apologizing for the way that they speak, and that is who they, you know, their language is who they are. And it's just getting that explicit representation. Again, none of us is from the Latinx community or the Afro-Latinx community, but it's, I, from talking to people, I have been told that that was really, really good to read. It's also, um, I don't know if either of y'all know this, but it's also a really great callback to an interview that Oscar Isaac did. Um, it was probably background when Force Awakens happened. Um, and he is of a Latino background. And he was talking about um, how his, you know, when he was telling his parents that he got cast in Star Wars and they, they, they called it a Star, a Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, yeah. yeah. I remember so that. I th- I don't know if it's a reference to that, but it probably is. Um, I know I'm saying it really wrong because I never took Spanish in school because I'm bad. But um, one of my uh, one of our listeners um, at Celestial Intent, her uh, Twitter banner is is that it's that quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's like just like very exaggerated phonetic pronunciation of Star Wars. <laughs> yes, which is beautiful, and it's just it makes me happy. Yeah, it's just. It's just, it's just nice to see this book. It's like, Amy, we've talked about with other authors, and we don't need to go into it again, how there have been some lapses in mm-hmm. what we would like to see from representation. And it's just nice to see. And, and I haven't seen a ton of criticism of any representation in this book. I'm sure there may be some because no one is perfect. But it's just nice to see a an author and an editing team that tried really hard to get it right and you know, put it in, in such a present and obvious and like in a way that it mattered and in a way that the people who are part of these communities could see it and the way that everybody else could see it and make everybody feel seen and heard. And it's just, it's just, it's good. Absolutely. And with no explanation for goddamn white people, because fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. Like there wasn't a fucking manual with this. No, exactly. And because why would there have been? And I wish there was more of this in the other, um, you know, media arms of 
you know, things related to Lucasfilm. Um, you know why? Because there's already a manual. It's called Google. Fuck yeah. Free. Sure is, Kristen. And you type it. You type it. Please explain this thing to me. I'm dumb and white. And it tells you the answer. It's amazing. I know. Gives you lots of articles to read and uh, things and stuff. What do you know about that? Professor Google will cure all your ills if only you would let it. For God's sakes. Instead of asking... You know, I'm the only person of color on the show, but, like, stop asking me dumbass questions, for Christ's sakes. I'm tired of explaining crazy work Jason's to y'all, from my personal experience. Go see it, though. Yeah, go see it, though. Oh, <laughs> don't ask so good. questions about it. Yeah, don't it's ask. so good. Yes, we have sea-searching this weekend. Yes. Um, oh, I'm too scared. You guys have to tell me how it is. I'm, like, definitely bringing a... I'm so right, scared. Will. I'm totally bringing a blanket with me, because I'm also scared, but I need to, like, pay I'm just going to buy a, a ticket to it and then just leave. That's legit. <laughs> I'm so scared. <laughs> I hate scary things. It's not horror. It's a thriller. Yeah, but it's like yeah, Taken. I, we have anxiety. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I also haven't seen Taken, Chris. Oh, okay, that's fair. That's real. <laughs> Taken. I'm scared of all things. <laughs> I get that. So the last character I want to talk on is probably the most significant one, honestly, in terms of Star Wars representation. Of course, I want to talk about Lando, um, as he's been portrayed in Star Wars up to this point and in this book. So, um, you know, Solo just came out and, of course, you know, they were doing the press tour for the thing. And, you know, Donald Glover was talking about how much pressure he felt um, getting Lando right. Because, um, you know, when he was a kid and he watched Star Wars, he was just like, there is one black guy in Star Wars and it's Billy D. Williams, for Christ's sakes. And I, you know... He he wanted to acknowledge that. He wanted to honor that performance. He wanted to honor what that meant for the black community of fans who are who are who are watching that film. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Like Lando is, you know, I can't. I, again, none of us are black, um, so I can't even begin to speak for how significant he is for. Um, for the fandom, for, for black fans. But I do want to point out that, um, you know, we, we've talked previously on this podcast about um, portrayals of other black men, including Saul Guerrero, and how those portrayals, because many, 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 many of the writers on Star Wars are white folks, how they fall into dangerous and harmful stereotypes and tropes about black men. And Lando, in the original trilogy, is no different um, you know, there, there's a long history, unfortunately, especially in American culture, about the over-sexualized black man. Um, you know, it, that, those stereotypes, you know, you may think, um, that they're harmless, but those are the stereotypes that led to the lynching of Emmett Till. Um, you know, they, they have led to, it's led to unspeakable violence, um, and, you know, othering and, all kinds of fuck shit throughout history. And, you know, Lando comes up, you know, when they first get to Bespin, and the first thing he does is hit on Leia. And, ball. Right? And, you know, it's played for laughs, and, you know, the actors went along with it, but of course that falls into this, that dangerous stereotype of black men are sexual predators. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and Han feels threatened, and, you know, white men feeling threatened by a black man supposedly doing, you know, making a sexual advance at a white woman has led to 
so many more lynchings in this country than have been even documented officially. Um, and that's a characterization that has continued even in Rebels. You know, for Christ's sakes, you have a black man selling Harrison Dula, a Twilight woman, into slavery to, you know, do some backhanded-ass business deal. Like, how fucked up is that? And that would never would have happened in, this sh- in that show if all the fucking writers hadn't been white dudes. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that episode. I, again... I like Rebels. We all like Rebels. We think it's a good show. That is an episode that I hope they want back. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know... White-ass writers' rooms continue to be problematic. Shocker! <laughs> um, but, of course, you know, Lando is, you know, more than that in Star Wars, even. he He's also a war hero. He's a general. Um, you know, he, he is a businessman. Um... You know, we we learn all these other things about him, um, but it's not until this book, I think, that we get a fully well-rounded picture of him. You know, that, again, that he can contain multitudes, that he, you know, can be a young guy who, you know, was sowing his wild oats like any other young guy um, is wont to do. But, you know, him... Finally settling down, deciding to settle down with Kasha, but also not giving up who he is inherently, is... Like, I'm trying to put this into words. It's just so complicated. But it... I don't know. It's just... It's more than his character progression. It shows that, you know, like, not all, you know, black men are just about sex. Like, that, like, white people want you to believe. Or, you know, not all black men are, like, deadbeats who leave their partners, which is another common ser- a horrible common stereotype. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's, I mean, it's often not black men's fault because, like, the incarceration rate for black men in this country is, oh, God, um, for stupid-ass reasons. And, you know, Lando himself may or may not fall into that stereotype because we know he was raised by a single mother. And, you know, single black moms is in and of itself a stereotype. Um, but... No, I like I appreciate this book for like showing him as a person who has an interiority, who has struggles about his feelings and his future and his business and the rest of the fucking galaxy and what he wants to do with his life. Like he has thoughts that are, you know, writ on small and large scales. Um, you know, funnily enough in this book he comes off as a fully like three-dimensional person. Yeah. In a way that he just doesn't in a lot of the on-screen media. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, the common theme of all the characters that we've talked about this episode and all the characters in this book is that they're characters, they're not tropes. Absolutely. That's why DJO is com. Accurate. And yeah. that's why he needed to write this book. Because he's not looking... Atlando as this, you know, flat facsimile of who he is um, as he is introduced in those first scenes on Bespin. He is looking at him as a fully-fledged character and one that means an awful lot to so many fans. And, you know, he has just as much potential in him as any other person. I'm really looking forward to seeing what DJO is doing in the universe next. Yes. I, be- I think more. we know he's doing something. Right, more. Do we? He, like, hinted that he was working on something else. 
Maybe that was before Last Shot. That might have been before Last Shot was announced. Oh, fucking no. I, time is a flat circle. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I think this was a very well-received book. So I would, and, you know, he talks about Star Wars a lot on Twitter. He clearly enjoys being part of the Star Wars community. Mm-hmm. I, I can't envision a world in which he's not back in some capacity. I hope so, certainly. Totally. Um, but, yeah. But Anyway, this is all to say... That DJ did a great job. I'm not talking about this nearly so eloquently as I want to be talking about this because it's just a whole conversation and, you know, somebody could write literally a 200-page a thesis on it and I would read the hell out of that, by the way, if anybody has that line around. Um, Please do that. I know. Everyone. <laughs> yeah. But I just, you know, again, um, I it's so important, I think, for us to highlight um the ways this book has seriously seriously succeeded in 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 its representation um and yeah no this book was kind of like in that sense was like even for myself as um you know a chinese american woman like did i necessarily see my face in this book no did i need to no did it still feel like a warm hug that like i'm i'm a, i am an acceptable like living person yeah absolutely so, thanks, DJO. You're awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, speaking of book reception, Chris, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, how your reading differed from the first time you read it, which was before Solo? Yeah. Um, to after that? Yeah. So, as Keeks just alluded to, and as I think we've mentioned before, I first read this book when it came out back in March, uh, which obviously was two months before solo came out in theaters and uh so i and so i was really interested to see if it would kind of influence my viewing of solo and it i would say it did a little bit um i would say the view of lando didn't because we kind of knew from the trailers and just from everything that had come out about how donald glover was playing lando that he was going to be who he was going to be. Like, thank a lot, um, by the way. It did make me a little disappointed with L3's role in Solo. I wanted more of her based on what we got of her being so interesting in uh, Last Shot. Yeah, but I, I mean, bet. Yeah, so, but I mean, so, like, that's... not That's that's more of a writing of Solo uh, issue. Um, but then coming back, I think... Coming back to read this again after Solo did have an effect because I was able to visualize so much better the young Han and young Lando scenes and particularly young Han really appreciate the writing of that and how it differed from older Han so much more. Um, I mean, Lando, as I was saying, we kind of knew who Lando was going to, who young Lando was going to be. Like we knew who, we knew who we were getting and Donald Glover knocked it out of the park. Uh, so that was pretty easy to envision in the first place, particularly when it starts off with Lando's getting dressed scene. God bless. Um, but the young Han aspect for Kids. me was... <laughs> <laughs> the young Han aspect for me was the, I think, part that changed the most after viewing Solo and just, like, having... Being able to envision Alden and envision... Like, kinda, you could slot that version of Han better into his... Yeah. Overall story. Yeah, because like old Han, like old Han's a fuck up, but like <laughs> he's not aggressively stupid. Young Han is kind of aggressively stupid, and I was having trouble envisioning that and <laughs> reconciling that with my vision of old Han from and even, you know, regular age Han from A New Hope. But then you see, you know, 
solo and Han just coming into his own. And you're like, oh, yeah, this motherfucker would throw the Phalanx Redux transmitter out the fucking garbage chute. <laughs> Listen, it happens. <laughs> Mistakes were made. We're not going to talk about it. Oh, it's all fine. God, what a dang bad. Yeah. Um, so I know when you uh, decided to read the book before you saw the movie, um, one of the explicit reasons why you did that was because, you know, this is the order it's being released. I'm going to you know, consume this media as it's designed to be consumed in terms of time, you know, release timeline or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think you would do that again? Like, was it better for you this way? Would you actually have rather have read the book afterward or? Uh, I think I would do it again. Um, You know, and this, I I can't remember if we talked about this when we read it, but famous, famously is not the right word, but you know, as Kate and Kristen and a few other people know I didn't read Phasma before The Last Jedi came out because I wanted to go into Last Jedi completely spoiler free. Um, you know, regardless of the fact that Phasma had no Last Jedi spoilers. But um, so I'm kind of comparing this experience of reading Last Shot first versus the experience of not reading Phasma first. And I don't think I gained anything by not reading Phasma. I don't know that I gained anything by reading Last Shot first, but I don't think I lost anything by reading Last Shot first. Well, here's the thing. I guess with Solo, though, you know, as we've been saying with a lot of the anthology films, you kind of know what's going to happen at the end-ish before you go into it, as opposed to the saga films where it's just like, oh, you have no idea what's going to happen. Um and there were things in Phasma that people, I remember, like, people who read it before The Last Jedi came out, they were wondering if any of it was going to have any bearing on The Last Jedi, um, because the speculation machine was um, running at high gear. Do you think that, you know, for, you know, Journey to Episode Nine books, you would actually put those off until you see the movie, as opposed to, you know, an anthology film like Solo? I don't know. Guess we'll find out in a year. All right. Uh, I mean, I think it'll probably depend on subject matter, mm-hmm. partially. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's a book about, you know, build as, I mean, I don't even know what it would be. You know, if it's Luke's Jedi Academy, if that book gets announced and comes out as part of Journey to Episode Nine, I'm devouring that as soon as it comes out. <laughs> if it's, you know, a deep dive into... Who haven't we gotten yet? I mean, Ray, I guess. Like a deep dive, like a young Ray book that I probably wouldn't read. Mm-hmm. Like I would probably wait for the movie because I want to experience that through fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in this case, I don't think it had a large impact on my viewing experience of Solo, um, but it certainly didn't hurt it. Okay. Um, Keeks, I also have a question for you. Uh, so you have actually listened to the audiobook for Last Shot. Okay, so, so my question, my question is, um, so I, 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 I love Taka's, like, I don't even know what kind of music it is. It sounds like fucking thrash metal screamo, whatever the fuck. Did they actually put that to some kind of music in the audiobook, or? Yeah, it's funny. Okay. So we should keep going. Um, do we want to go into some social media questions and some Easter eggs before we wrap? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so we only got uh, one social media question this time because I fucked up on asking people on Twitter. 
but whatever. I mean, we, just to be transparent, we recorded last night and we're recording tonight, so. Yeah, that's true. Because traveling. There's, there's a lot <laughs> happening. Um, so, uh, Jean Liang, who, uh, you know, is one uh, part of Beltway Banthas, I should mention, and one of uh, Tashi Station's Patreon subscribers, so he got to ask this question in the Slack and super make sure that I saw it. Hi, John. Um, so his question is, which, um, you know, section or timeline, I guess, um, did y'all like the most? Younger Lando, younger Han, younger Lando with Han, or older post-ROTJ Lando and Han? I don't think we got younger Lando and Han together, actually, did we? I don't think in this book. I think, yeah. So I guess that would be, like... Gore. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, yeah. Yeah. Do y'all have a favorite timeline? I agree with Chris. I liked, well, I don't know whether or not this was Chris's favorite, but I really liked seeing young Han because he's such a fucking idiot. <laughs> and it was great. And I loved seeing Sana. And I just loved seeing what a dingbag he was. Oh, God, same. He's like, I I, I think it was actually um, Zoraida Cordova who um, has a short story in um from a certain point of view so she's officially a star wars author again would love to see more from her but she had her reaction after seeing solo was that the movie really captured the fact that han likes to think he's a cool smuggler and he's real suave and he's good with the ladies but he's actually a giant idiot dork and he's such a giant idiot dork in these flashback scenes in the last shot and I definitely, absolutely, as you said, Geeks, enjoyed seeing that. And seeing Sana in a book, finally, because um, she's a badass lady. Like, yeah, those were definitely my favorite flashback bits. Like, I, I definitely like seeing the, you know, old man dynamic between Han and Lando in the present. But in terms of flashbacks, it's it's got to be the young Han bits for me all the way. Uh, For me, I actually like the quote-unquote current timeline, the post- ROTJ post Battle of Jakku, Lando and Han. Um, I liked them all. I I really really liked this book. Oh yeah. Um, but for me, it's just just you know I Solo and this book. But Solo did what I thought was frankly going to be difficult to impossible in delivering convincing performances for these two iconic characters from different actors, and it absolutely deserves to be commended for that. But for me, I grew up with Harrison Ford and Billy D. Williams. When I see the names Han and Lando, I think of Harrison Ford and Billy D. Williams. And so that section was the most fun for me on a personal level. Mm-hmm. You could just hear them, too. Oh, absolutely. Totally. Uh, should we dive into Easter eggs slash did anyone have Easter eggs besides me again? I mean, I... You always pick all yeah, of them, like, What? When you, when you throw them all in, like... Yeah, I, I can select which of these were my favorites of the ones you listed. I specifically left some out, so you know what? You, all, you I both put one on there. can eat my butthole. <laughs> I put one on there. Did you? I did. And I'm going to talk about it. Which Mine is, my favorite is I love you, we know. Obviously. So fucking. Just fucking screaming. Funny. Oh my God. The way they were just like, God almighty. It was it was super good. Chris, what's your favorite? Um, My Ultimate favorite was uh, Taka and his crack about how cutting, how uh, blasting people in half doesn't always take. <laughs> oh my god, I read that bit 
Taka and their crack. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Taka and Thank their crack. Thank you, Geeks. Um, I, I, when I read that bit, uh, I was, again, um, ill-advisedly reading late into the night on a school night while Chris was sleeping next to me, and it was all I could do not to just, like, start yelling at, you know, one in the morning like a normal. <laughs> and then my second favorite was uh, Faison talking to Lando and referring to Han as his scruffy friend. <laughs> Who are you calling? <laughs> scruffy looking. Um, so as usual, I, I have several because I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the one on this pod who just like finds all of them because I'm a crazy person. Um, so first of Fox, we've got, um, Sardis Ramson features in one of the Lando flashbacks when he's at the weird way station party where he's just like drunk and freaking out. And he is actually the stormtrooper that DJO wrote a short story about in From a Certain Point of View, um, Born in the Storm. Uh, he's the m- oh shit really yeah he's the main character yeah bounty hunting did not end up working out that well for Sartre Ramson. Dubax on the other hand, big fan of Dubax. Hell yeah, um, Kasha as I mentioned before was a free Ryloth fighter. We know about um, the free Ryloth movement from both Rebels and the Clone Wars. Champs and Dula, Harrison Dula's dad, was the leader of that. Um, I think um, it's been mentioned uh, a few times across uh, various novels. Um, and I think we might get more of that in Lords of the Sith because Chim's in it. Uh, the Free Ryloth movement? Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. I don't know if we get specifically Tan Province. Yeah, I'm just asking about the Free Ryloth movement. Oh, Ryloth yeah, movement. sorry. Um, Kasha also mentions that she was instrumental in the liberation of Tan Province, which is, of course, the Isindula clan's home province. Um, we get to visit that um, location in the episode of Rebels entitled Hera's Heroes. So if you want to see what Hera's childhood home looked like, go watch that episode. Spoiler, it's very fancy. Um, Singer Rath Velas. really cool. Yes. Singer Rath Velas, uh, one of our favorite characters from Aftermath. This is kind of a spoiler, but on- honestly, at this point, the series has been out for a billion, million years. Um, his husband uh, makes a little appearance in this book. Um, so we know that um, Sinjur gets a happy ending. Chris, remind me what his name is. His name is Condor Kyle. Excellent. Um, he wait. is Peepa's boss. Yeah. For those who are having trouble placing these. Sure. Um, the droids who take over the Chevalier for a little bit and they have to like take them out are KX security droids. The most famous, of course, being K2SO from Rogue One. Um, Han makes... There's a horrible ass excuse to the New Republic as he's trying to, as they're trying to escape. Is it when they're trying to escape from the prison planet? Yes. Yeah. He's just like, he, he makes an excuse rather reminiscent of the awkward, we're all fine here, uh, speech from (laughs) a new hope where he's just like, uh, we have some, uh, radioactive cargo on board. Um, everything's fine here, but you shouldn't board, uh, because we're trying to lock it down, but everything's totally normal and fine. And the New Republic is like, bitch, we're boarding your ship. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> here, here we come. I know. My favorite part about that was specifically the line afterward with Han, like, disconnected and looked very pleased with himself. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great because it's just like such a... Like, he thinks he's done so much better than he did in A New Hope where he hangs up and he makes that face where he's just like... Ah, that wasn't great, was it? <laughs> but I mean, no. it was a boring conversation anyway. It, it's true. Um, and the last one I've got here is, I don't know if this was supposed to be a reference or not, but I think it's at some point in Empire Strikes Back where um, the Falcon is super busted 
and um, Han's in the guts of it trying to do repairs. And he's somewhere in the flooring, and there's a toolbox that falls on his fucking head. And he goes, ah, Chewie! Like, it's Chewie's fault that he that there's a toolbox on the edge. Han, it's your fucking fault. We all know it. Um, so there's a point in the book where he has the exact same reaction because he's talking to somebody while he's walking and there's something hanging out of the ceiling that is very heavy and made of metal and he just smacks right into it and Chewie's just there like emoji shrug don't care <laughs> it wasn't me kicks you got that audio bit no it won't sync so i have no idea where it okay. is but it's the beginning of the kashik system now in part one cool freema freema bar bar freema freema <laughs> It basically just sounds like little aliens screaming that. That's fantastic. So it's pretty funny. I, I was just wondering if it was like thrash metal or like something else. Yeah, that's basically what it sounds like. Oh, that's fucking. Like, I was imagining it being thrash metal, but I was like, hey, it could also be other things, definitely. But no, that's basically that's what beautiful. it is. It's just screaming. That's fantastic. I love screaming music. <laughs> and regular screaming. Accurate. All right. Well, ending it on regular screaming is always the right place to end it. Thank you for reading along to Last Shot by Dana Jose Older with us. Next week, we are going to be starting Aftermath, Life Debt, the second book in the Aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig. Chris, thank you so much for asking. We are uh, reading uh, the start through the interlude on The Annihilator, which is after chapter eight. Thank you so much. Math colon life death. Thank you so much for that prepared and prompt response, Kristen. I really appreciate <laughs> it. And our listeners really appreciate it. Definitely didn't any- edit anything out at all. Nope. Nope. Not this is ever. all straight straight to feed. Live to feed. Um, anyway, in the meantime, bef- while you're reading the start of Aftermath Life Debt through the interlude on The Annihilator, uh, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. BookWarsPod on all those platforms. BookWarsPod at gmail.com if you want to email us. And rate, review, and subscribe to both us, us and the Tashi Station Radio mega feed. Us and the Tashi Station. Yep. <laughs> uh, particularly because you can uh, win lots of fun prizes. The first of which is... Um, going to be uh, Most Wanted by Ray Carson. Uh, we finally hit 15 reviews, which is, at which point we said we would pick a winner, and we are going to draw one right now. Uh, so I'm going to open up the random number generator. And to be clear, before we draw a winner, you only got counted if you sent us a screenshot so that we could tell who you were. If you left a review and we can't tell who you are, like a few of you just did you know, we know you and we know your Twitter handle and you just did the same username as your Twitter handle. That's fine. But if we can't tell who you are or we don't know you, then we have no way of telling you that you won. So you're not entered. So if you're listening to this and you left a review and you're like, oh shit, I never told them who I am. There's still time. We're giving away more stuff. Absolutely. Um, so our winner um, from, I just pulled up Google's random number generator and we had nine people who um, actually uh, submitted valid entries telling us who they are and where they're from and or what their twiddle hand- Twitter handle was. Tw- twiddle handle? Twiddle handle was. <laughs> um, our winner oh my God. is... Guess who? Is it at Real Vegas? Hell yeah, it is! 
<laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Now you don't even have to mail it to her. I, you can just get I it know. to her. I swear. <laughs> Save on postage. I swear to God, this wasn't right. I'm like taking a screenshot right now. This is not an inside job, no, okay? It's, it's really not. Um, she, is, she just happened to be lucky number seven, which is uh, what Google pulled up. Um, so, yeah. Miranda has just won a copy of... She shouldn't have won because she should have reviewed us way before it's that. True. But... Um, well, she still would have been entered. People who reviewed <laughs> us back or in the early days would have also been... Uh, were also entered in this drawing. Right. This Absolutely. And um, so she is disqualified now from winning anything in the future until we say so. So technically, uh, right now we have... Not counting Miranda, who has just won a thing. We have eight people who have sent us valid entries for things, and we are going to pick at random in the future people to win um, just random ass small prizes. So your odds are actually- Things and stuff. Yeah. So your odds are actually pretty good. Um, so things we have to give in the way in the future include a paperback copy of Thrawn by Tim Zahn. Uh, we have a number of patches. Um, I've got uh, some cute stickers from my Squadron Gold subscription that I am perfectly happy to part with. So yeah, if you want to get in with Fun yeah, things. so if you want to get in on it, leave us a review. Um, either stick your Twitter handle or the fucking the review, or send us a screenshot in some manner on social media or email, and we will stick you on the list. And you too could be very happy and have Star Wars shit. Yep, absolutely. So please do continue to rate, review, and subscribe to us and the Tashi Station Mega Feed. Uh, and uh, as Kate said, we'll be giving away, we've given away Most Wanted, congrats again to Real Baby Bird, but we'll continue to give away small things. Probably when we get to 20 reviews, we'll give away our next book. So if you didn't win this time, you are still eligible. If you haven't entered yet- Unless you're Miranda, Miranda unless, won. Well, that's why I said if you didn't win. Now she's fired. Well, but she did win. She's fired. All right. Baby Bird, you're grounded. In the meantime, if you have the means and are so inclined, please donate to the Tashi Station Radio Patreon and give us coffee at coffee.com slash bookwarspod. It really helps us cover our hosting and production costs and gets us closer to being able to provide a little bit of swag uh, to our listeners at Star Wars Celebration Chicago next year. And every time you can give us coffee, you get Hamlet pics on Instagram. So you're the real winners. That is our show. Our theme song is Whiz Bang by Poddington Bear. Our logo and artwork are by Joby Terra Design. Thank you so much for listening to episode 61 of the Book Wars Pod. For Kate and Kristen, I'm Chris, and we will talk to you about Aftermath Life Debt next week. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up, hold up. Chris, what the fuck is this chair? Oh. I was sitting here for the past hour. Mm -mm. I love the internet at night. Everyone in my building is streaming Netflix right now. <laughs>